0: Come hang out with the Shop Talk Live crew and some of the world's finest woodworkers at Fine Woodworking Live 2018, April 20th through 22nd in Southbridge, Massachusetts. Head over to finewoodworkinglive.com and use the coupon code SHOPTALK to get $50 off your registration. Welcome to Shop Talk Live, Fine Woodworking's bi weekly podcast. I'm here with Fine Woodworking creative director Mike Peckovich. Hello. Special projects editor Matt Kenny. What's up, people? And manning the controls, as always, is Jeff Rose. Hey, Jeff. Hello. Hey, Jeff. I am your host, Ben Strano.
1: Jeff, you have a microphone. I do. He nice. always
0: has a microphone. Well,
1: you should use it more often. <laughs>
0: All right, um, let's see. If you have any questions you'd like answered on the show, send them into to shoptalk at taunton.com. Any links or articles we mentioned on the show will be on this episode's show notes page, which can be found at shoptalklive.com. As long as I do my job, that doesn't always happen. So What's about a 50-50 proposition? <laughs> <laughs> I might be out looking for corn dogs. <laughs> All right, so um, gentlemen, I have a question. And I've talked to Mike about this a little bit, but so this is this box that I'm working up to hold spoon apparatus. Yeah. And um, I felt guilty because I was making, as, as I was in SketchUp, I was drawing the frame and panel where the horizontals, that's not the rail, right? Which is the... That's the rail. Style. That's the rails. Where the horizontal rail...
1: You, sit on, you sit on a fence rail. Oh look at that. And dress styles go up and down. That I don't No, no, that came from Bob Goodfellow, my old art director. That one kind of threw me for a loop too. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> <Good>. <laughs>
0: um but my question is I normally the styles extend past the rails in a frame and panel, mm-hmm. right? Like 90% of the frame and panels you see, the styles extend past the rails. And I knew that this would be far easier to make if my rails extended past the styles Mm -hmm. on this design because then I can cut my rails out at the same time as all of my other uh, length pieces because I'm just going to domino everything together. So I would have – instead of having four pieces to cut out at one length, I would have – Like 10 pieces to cut out at one length, but they would all perfectly match up when I glued up.
1: Which I like that kind of
0: thinking. I I appreciate your liking that kind of thinking, but I felt guilty because I'm, like, screwing with the design based on ease of building.
2: Um, Well, so oftentimes, the reason one of the reasons these styles extend up past the rails, like in a door, for example, mm-hmm. is because you hinge the styles. Mm-hmm. And if the rails extended out past the styles, it would make uh, hinging a little more of a sketchy proposition.
1: You might okay. be hinging into end grain. You might
2: be hinging into oh, dr- grain. Gotcha. Or you'd have to bring the hinges down further than you normally would. And then the door, you know, the hinges would be too close together. Yeah. Right. Um, or
1: if you do hinge into the long grain below the horizontal rails and you have any movement where the the styles shrink a little bit, then those rails are going to stick out. And that could cause the door to bind a
0: little bit. Yes. Okay. So that is purely functional, but it's it's so commonly seen that frame and panels look odd the other way, right?
1: Um, I think you probably don't notice it when you see, like, for instance, to Matt's point, when you do knife hinges that are going into the top and bottom mm-hmm. of the door, you can have horizontal rails full length, and then you're doing your knife hinges into real wood instead of end grain.
2: Yeah. I so you got that. I don't know if I've ever seen knife hinges in a frame and panel door view. I'm not uh, – it just struck me as I don't know if I've ever seen that.
1: Yeah, like a lot of Kronov-style cabinets will have a glass front door, so that's a door frame. Yeah,
2: there you go. And so you can
1: do two things. Um, I like to have the rails full length. If I want to accentuate, like, the length of the door, like I do a long, low jewelry chest with a sliding door, it's really long. So those rails go full length too – just to sort of accentuate that and also because they are sliding and I have the rabbits cut in the top and bottom I want continuous wood I don't necessarily want end grain bumping up into my grooves where it slides So another thing people do which is really cool if you have a pair of doors the outside styles are full height and the inside styles stop and the rails continue and sort of butt against each other does that make sense?
0: So it's 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 like a mirrored effect.
1: So on the yeah on the inside of the door, the rails um, over uh, they 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 go past the styles. The styles stops short on the inside, but they're long on the outside, and it creates sort of like a framed look.
2: So okay. it looks like one door, kind of, kind of, yeah. yeah. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, All right. yeah. Um, and so this is what you're thinking about doing now. This piece with the uh, three styles and uh, the two rails that are. Uh, on top and bottom of them.
0: Yeah the, the the bottom the bottom style, if you will, is not part of the door. N- nor is the top style that you're seeing in this picture. It's the well, it, this is a <coughs> very very odd functioning. You mean rails? I'm yes, I'm this sorry. This is the, Lisa. Bottom, the bottom and top rails are 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 not part of this door. Yeah, I didn't think they were. Okay. Um, That'd be weird. This is
1: like a tall, shallow tool cabinet-ish. Yeah, thing. what's the overall dimensions?
0: Sixteen by twenty right now, but I'm I'm thinking about making it a lot smaller. Oh, cool. Okay, because I'm I I would like to have a box that has all of my spoon carving stuff mm-hmm. in it at all times, but the fact of the matter is I do my axe work out in my shop, outside or you know somewhere else, and the the knife work usually happens in my living room, so I don't usually need the ax with this, with the knives. So I might just punt on this whole thing, but it, it brought up the idea of like, well, I mean, is it okay to change aesthetic purpose, aesthetics for ease of building?
1: Always. It's always okay. I think that's the whole point of making something yourself is you don't have to make it correct or real, or like anything else. Like the conventional methods are there because there was a reason for it, like Matt said.
0: And I, I'm i glad to know yeah. that reason now. But
1: yours is this way because there's a reason, reason for it. it. Yeah. So that's exactly correct.
0: Okay.
2: I mean, I I know yesterday at lunch you said you were not asking for advice on the design of this thing. <laughs> but you but just, here it comes. Well, you just said that you don't really need your axes To fit in there. And Mm -hmm. I would say make something that will hold your carving tools. Mm -hmm. And then if possible, find some way. Because how many axes do you have? Just one? Two. Two. I only use one. Okay. So you really only need to have one with it. So make it some way that it just kind of straps onto the side if you need to take it somewhere. That's a good idea. You know? I like that. Um, Or really, I mean, you could make like a traditional handled tool thing. And have one side of it co- where you can cover it and lock it to put all your little carving tools, and the other side you just pop your axe into it when you need to.
0: That's cool. Yeah.
2: Anyways, I'm not giving you design advice. <laughs> I just, I just that things I would think about if I were going to do this. No,
0: no, I like it. No, at that at lunch yesterday you started really digging into design. I was like, no, I've got a reason for this.
1: You so. should attach a short length of like tree stump to the top of the box and just. Throw your axes in and there. Then use I'm as a not handle. looking for designers. Yeah, yeah. And, and then then the use as it. As a handle. <laughs> yeah, yes. we're there. Yeah. Okay.
0: All right. All right. Let's let's I just see you checking into a hotel with this axe thing stuck on. The- <laughs> well, this is this is one of the things because it's it's you know we're going up to find Water King live. Follinsby is going to be there. David Fisher is going to be there. I want to sit around and carve spoons with these guys. So So, I'm bringing my my stuff. So
2: what you think is that at Fine Woodworking Live, A, that you are going to have time, and B, they're going to have time to sit around somewhere. A boy can drink. Like you're on the porch of a house in Appalachia.
0: And they're going to walk up to me and say, hey, man, I've always wanted to carve a spoon with you. Yeah, that's kind of where
1: I was going with this. And (laughs) C, Dave and Peter like, hey, have a seat, Ben. Let's carve some spoons. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That might awesome. happen. It could. That's like bringing your mitt to the baseball game <laughs> thinking you're going to catch a foul ball.
2: No, that's no, no, awesome. No, no. It's like bringing your <laughs> mitt to a game thinking that Derek Jeter is going to call you down and play to catch. play yeah. catch with you. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Listen. Listen I, by the way, I hate the Yankees. I don't know why I use Derek Jeter as an example. All right, let's go. <laughs> I think we have a podcast to do, right? Yeah, all right. All
0: right, let's 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 get to the first question. Do you prefer coping saws or fret saws? I'd like to buy a saw for cleaning up dovetail waste. Uh, my research tells me that fret saws cut slowly, but you can do it in one motion, whereas coping saws cut quickly, but you need to make two cuts to remove the waste. Stan wants to know.
1: Good news, Stan. It doesn't matter. <laughs> you need both. You need both. Yes. Because...
2: When you're making a mistake, you want to use a coping saw. Oh, But here after we go. you've made yeah. the mistake, you want to use the fret saw. Yeah. There you go. No,
0: it's the opposite.
2: No. You fret about making a mistake. You cope with the mistake. Oh, okay. I think you fret about it after you've done it. Okay. Well, anyways, Mike says you need both.
1: Yeah, for exactly those reasons. Um, when I do dovetails in really thick stock like a white oak case side, the fret saw's just too thin and you got to use a coping saw for that and then if everything else um, drawer sides that are thinner stock or softer woods if I can get that fret saw right down that saw curve and make that little left hand turn across the baseline that's really nice I carry both um, in my tool case wherever I go
0: now if you have neither and you are in particular he was looking at new concept saws Yeah, so you're not going to you know making the jump to $120 or whatever is is pretty significant for most well
2: the good news is doubling that Which you one? can so i have a coping saw and i believe what i have is a fret saw uh it's a new concept saw and i believe it's a fret saw okay um you can get a decent coping saw frame for like 20 bucks at yeah, the hardware store I, uh, I'd probably go with Woodcraft or something like that. But or the hardware store. the oh, hardware I, store. I front. don't know. Uh,
0: Hard, hardware store ones are pretty rough. I have a hardware
1: store coping saw, but I bought it.
0: Like 38 years ago.
1: 30 years ago. <laughs> <Yeah>. Back when <laughs> <laughs> hardware stores were hardware stores. Yeah,
0: yeah. It's
2: made by Oliver. So, you know, <laughs> don't even, yeah. You get, get, spend like 20 bucks on a coping saw frame and get some yeah. good blades. Um, you can spend about the same on a fret saw, too. You could, yeah. But I would, if I were going to spend money on one or the other, I would spend it on a fret saw, I think.
0: Really? Yeah. What
1: about um, you? I would have to agree with that, only because I still have my hardware store coping saw, but I upgraded my fret saw to a new Concepts. And I really like it. Um, because for the fret saw, what I like about the new concept saw is it tensions the blade really, really well, and it has detents at 90 and 45, which are really nice for where you're working across the top of a board sawing the dovetails. The frame doesn't get in the way. And because of that, I just have the three-inch deep frame on my fret saw, and that's all I'll ever need Mm -hmm. because I'm just like zipping across the top at 45 degrees. I think if you're doing true like marquetry and that kind of stuff, you probably want a deeper frame so you can work further into Mm -hmm. a panel as you're making your cuts.
2: But for dovetails,
1: for dovetails, uh, yeah, I I like the shorty.
2: But I also have uh, this idea that a coping saw. You have to make two cuts to get the waste out, and I yeah. don't believe that's true. I mean, I use my coping saw, come down, make the turn, and go across the bottom all the time.
1: Mm, I can't get my coping saw into my saw curve.
2: Uh, okay. Yeah, I mean, I guess if you if that might be an issue. Uh, if you, Because
0: you're cutting yours out on the table saw.
2: No, bandsaw normally. So bandsaw. But even when I've cut them with my uh, dovetail saws, there are blades— when I did the uh, review with Chris Gochner, and we did uh, coping saws, and he also looked at coping saw blades, mm-hmm. and there are some blades out there that are really thin. Yes. Yeah. And you can get them into, and I guess that's what I have. Yeah, but the, the blades that he
0: uses, he uses specific blades that Sears... Only sells, like, two of at a time. And he, he orders, like, a package every day.
2: <laughs> yeah, he does. I, uh, he probably orders a case of them or something. But uh, there are also some, I think the company is Pegas. Yeah. You know, uh, they make blades that are really kind of thin and that mm-hmm. can get into a uh, backsaw curve, I believe. Hmm. So you don't have to. I mean, whatever. Buy I, two. I had
1: a new uh, Japanese saw that I use for Kumiko and stuff, but it's so sharp and it's so thin. I thought, I'm going to cut dovetails with this. My fret saw blade was not even going <laughs> to fit <in> that thing. <laughs> so I was like, okay, <laughs> that's a bad idea.
0: So what? But what is, your, what is your method of choice for removing dovetail waste?
2: I always use a coping saw or a fret saw if there's waste because it just – Gets rid of it so quickly, then all you have to do is pair to the baseline.
1: Yeah. Uh, truth of the matter is, I use a bandsaw quite a bit.
2: Yeah,
0: me too. Mm. And use a router as well,
1: just to get down to the baseline, but not I'll, I'll cope okay. away the cope or fret or bandsaw away the waste. Use a bearing guided flush trim bit just to get right down to the baseline,
0: and then
2: you don't need to bear. You That's don't need for, to pair. Through, That's
1: between pins, between tails, I just chop
2: it. Through okay. dovetails, yeah. Okay. Yeah, for between pins, I will often just route it because uh, I, I, I did an article with a guy who first I first saw that technique for, and he was doing half-blinds. It's called Half-Blind Dovetails in Half the Time by uh, Stephen Hammer. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, I, so I tried it because I was doing the article. So I was like, I got to try this. And initially it was kind of scary, but now I can – especially on through dovetails, Yeah, I can get to the point where I can route it and it just pops right in.
0: But And so this is – you're not using any bearing. You're just Correct.
2: freehanding it. Freehanding it. And
0: I've seen the – I think I saw it in the article and it was like, yeah, I don't think I'm brave enough for that. Well, but.
2: the thing is so like normally when people think about routing freehand, you're thinking about routing face grain. And face grain – on face grain, it absolutely will follow the grain, and it'll kind of move around on its own. Are
1: you not removing any waste whatsoever? You're just – are you making a saw cut?
2: Correct. Nothing.
1: Nothing. Just boom right into it. Right with the router. Right with I the router. scribe line, then I route my scribe line. Pencil line. <laughs> pencil
2: line. Yeah. <laughs> pencil line and then route to the pencil line. I was wondering because, like,
1: no. you yeah, were – No, you are joking. You no. were going – on and on the other week about how i cut seven dovetail drawers you know how many drawers i got seven it took me three weeks it's like it's because you're routing to pencil lines when you cut your dovetails
2: it didn't take me three weeks to no cut but seven. you complained about it a lot yeah i did <laughs> yeah well, those were not those were uh half blinds i hate doing half blind dovetails um which me, you can't you can't do with the uh, bearing guided bit.
1: No, you use a straight bit in yes. a fence, and you can establish the bottom. But yeah, you have to be careful of the sides here. Right. I used to use just a straight bit between the pins and just get as close as I could to my saw cut and not cut into it <clears throat> for like years and years and years. I did that, and then I was at Bob Van Dyke's, and Bob said, "Oh, well Neptune said just use a flush trim bit with the bearing at the top."
2: Oh. I've done that on larger stuff, but yeah. I'm talking about drawers that were like an inch and a half tall, and the dovetails are like a quarter inch. There's no bearing-guided bit that's going to get in there.
1: Oh, just saw and chop.
2: Yeah. Well, it, I mean, it's – Yeah.
1: Just use a router and a pencil. <laughs> I'm going to do that.
0: Are you, you're being serious, though. You're just drawing the pen. – you're just transferring – with a with pencil line. With a sharp and, pencil.
2: And yeah. routing to it. He mm-hmm.
1: doesn't even put the tails board on top. He just like sketches. I sketch it. For it's no. awesome.
2: <laughs> I transfer it with a sharp pencil uh-huh. and uh, then just so you, route.
1: Do you remove the pencil line?
2: No, you leave the pencil line because the pencil line is completely on the pen.
1: But that's on the waist. Oh, no, I see. No, it's
2: not. Okay. It's completely on the save it. Got it wood. Right. Yeah. So you save your pencil. Yeah, so you save your pencil line completely.
0: I, hmm. I don't know if I'll ever be brave enough to do that.
2: But the thing is, when you're routing ingrain like that, the router's very easy to control. It's super easy to control.
0: And you're using a little little compact
2: I term router. I use a DeWalt, whatever, 611 router. Is that what it is? A little one that came out a couple, you know, like five, six years ago with the lights and everything, a plunge yellow. base. It's yellow. It's DeWalt. It's got the spinny bit. It does spinny spin. <laughs> yeah. That's what I use. Well oh wow, okay, all right, well, we um oh, a bit on bigger stuff, I cut out the waste and then have used the bearing guided bit,
0: yeah, okay um we've recently started making videos uh where they're normally called like Vic Tesla answers seven questions or something like that it's normally seven, but uh in reality, when we go out, we ask them ten questions so we will probably commonly refer to this as 10 questions and nobody will know what we're talking about because we always say 10 questions in the office. But, um, one of those, we Matt had the idea, Hey, let's, let's actually answer one of these questions and, uh, on, on the show. So we were talking about a little bit and we thought that we would take the question, what is the most common mistake you see beginners make and answer that as one of our segments today. So, uh, Matt, your idea,
2: you want me to go first? Yeah. All right. So then you guys aren't going to answer, and I'm just going to look like a jerk. <laughs> well, us answering has nothing to do with that whatsoever. So, um, so <laughs> I, I thought about this, and I and I think that the thing, the mistake that I see people make that I would like them to stop making, the m- most important mistake that they make, I don't know if it's the most common, uh, is not paying attention to the wood they use when they make something. So they don't pay attention to grain. They don't pay necessarily that much attention to wood species or wood color. Mm. And it's almost like it's an afterthought. And I've seen a lot of pieces that have been made that the basic design is pretty good, but it's defeated by poor wood selection. And that could range from anything from... Making table legs and not using rift sawn material uh, so that you get a nice straight grain on all four sides of it, Uh, instead having quarter sawn on two sides and flat sawn on two sides, which just kind of looks terrible. Um, Or making an apron that has an arch on the bottom of it, but choosing a piece of flat sawn material that either has really wild grain that kind of fights that curve or... I've even seen stuff where the grain curves in the opposite direction of the curve on the edge. Mm-hmm. So there's uh, if I, nor, you know, if uh, that would be the probably the first advice that I would give to people that are starting out to make furniture after learn how to sharpen would be right from the beginning. Pay really close attention to the materials that you select to build with. And then how you use the grain when you're making parts so that when you put it together, it looks as good as it possibly can. And mm-hmm. to really pay attention and have a sensitivity to material selection in lumber gra- and grain. So I think that's an answer to the question.
0: I think when when I started off, everything was poplar. And because and it was the only thing that I could afford. And or, you know, just. Palettes, <laughs> you know, well,
2: but yeah, I mean, I understand that the because when you do, I remember starting out, and it was I was very price conscious about everything, tools, materials, all of that. But I think even if you're buying uh, poplar,
3: mm-hmm.
2: you can still pay attention to grain, yeah, and you can still pay attention to the colors that you pick because you could go and pick a lot of poplar that had all the green and everything, mm-hmm. or you could go and try to find poplar which is possible, that's really clear and creamy, Mm -hmm. right? And there's other things that you could do to show a sensitivity to grain, like all I can do is use this wood that's, you know, flat sawn red oak. Okay, well, then let's do something besides just put shellac on it maybe. Let's, you know, maybe use some uh, uh, milk paint Mm -hmm. and let the... Pores show through the milk paint, which gives you some texture to it, but also covers up the sort of the cathedrals. So there's all kinds of things you can do to uh, compensate for not being able to buy the most expensive, beautiful cherry or whatever, you yeah. know?
0: Um, and some, sometimes the board, like if you just pull a board out and you go, oh, look at the beautiful grain on that. That doesn't necessarily, necessarily translate into beautiful parts. Correct. When you saw it up, that grain is... Many times working against you.
2: Yes. Yeah, that's the thing. When you go to buy lumber, you never think about board feet. Uh, and you never think about just like buying, oh, the, here's the number of boards I need. You think about parts that you need. And you, you can either kind of sketch them out on there or if you can imagine it, go, oh, well, that's where if I cut that board this diagonally sort of like that, I'll get really nice grain for that apron, you know, or... This piece is thick enough now, I can uh, turn my legs and cut them out like diamonds. And that way I'll get riffs on material for all of them. So, <clears throat> excuse me. So, there's a way that you can start to, you can still buy inexpensive material, but use it more effectively mm-hmm. in terms of grain and color match and things like that. That's
1: a good point. I remember on earlier projects where I would come back to my shop with a big stack of lumber from Lumberyard and just line it up against you know the wall of my garage and look at them all and start to decide at that point where the parts are going to be coming from.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And it was tough. You either run out of wood or you start using areas of the boards you may not want to. You kind of work yourself into a corner or at least into a second trip back to the Lumberyard.
0: Right.
1: And to your point now, I'll spend, <clears throat> sometimes I'll spend a couple hours at a Lumberyard pulling out boards, marking parts on those boards with chalk as I'm pulling them out. So number one, I know I've got everything. And number two, I get back to the shop and put all my boards out, and I know why I got that board and what I'm supposed to get out of it.
0: That that happens to me where it's like... I'll do I'll do the calculations at the lumber yard and then when I get back to the shop, it was like, wait,
2: what was I gonna get? Yes, <laughs> right. Yeah. It's actually one of the reasons why I initially started to make small things like boxes and small cabinets, because that allowed me greater control over the material. And I had to buy less so I could spend more to <laughs> get better material. Um, but it also allowed me to totally control uh, everything. Yeah. So, you know, now it's like, uh, you know, you can make a wall cabinet from a single eight quarter board easily. So just buy a single eight quarter board and learn that there are things that you can do. Like a lot of time, you know, eight quarter cherry boards are going to be flats on, but the edge grain is riffs on. Yeah. So, you know, nowadays what I do a lot is I will rip slices off the edge, lay them down and edge glue them and make, mm-hmm. and that's how I get a panel. And so, um, there's a lot of different ways to save on money, and still be thoughtful about grain and uh, make parts that come together as har- as harmoniously as possible when you make the piece of furniture or whatever you're making. Yeah. So,
0: cool. You want to go next? Or you want me to go? Uh, uh, uh-uh, uh. Go ahead. Uh. I think that the biggest thing that mis- that beginners do that works against them is they're not patient enough, mm. and I mean I probably went through four different sharpening methods before I realized you were just rushing, you know. And, and every single one of those sharpening methods I used would have worked mm-hmm. if I realized when you initially get a chisel, you got to spend sometimes half an hour getting it tuned yeah, up, right? As opposed to two, three minutes, and then trying to get to work. Um, I think I've mentioned before there was there was a, Jeff and I were at Chris Gockner's, and he was sawing a tenon, and this is just recently he sawing a tenon, I'm sitting there going, "This is taking forever," but it fit off the saw. <laughs> 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 he was patient. He was methodical, and he saw it. And I mean, it's like you, sometimes you see somebody saw a tenon with with a back saw, and they just go right down that line, and then you know, it's it looks quick and easy. But he sat there. and He stopped and saw a little bit more, and saw him blow blow the, the dust away. And then I was like, oh, I'm staying there behind this camera. I'm going, uh, we're gonna have to edit some of this out. This is taking forever. And boom, off the saw. It's like, yeah, that's way quicker that way. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Just be patient. And I, I know shop time for me, especially early on, was hard to, to come by. And it's like I went down there. I wanted to get something done. I want to accomplish something. I want to get 14 things done. I had, you know, three hours. For you know, once a month maybe. And I wanted to build a whole project in that time. And I'd rush through it. And I'd rush sharpening. I'd rush everything. And I was never that happy with what I did. Whereas now it's easier for me to get shop time. But I've witnessed enough woodworking to know these guys are not rushing. They're taking their time. They're getting it right. And it just takes a while and yeah. for me that's that's
2: been the, the biggest thing
1: and in a way they're doing their fastest work by slowing down yeah yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> if, if you think about woodworking I think especially when you first start you think about woodworking okay what what's going to make me a good woodworker you know being able to cut dovetails being able to fit a mortise and tenon uh you know this that and the other thing right but the, the longer i do it I think the more you, I begin to realize that what makes you successful in the shop is probably actually a, a, a certain combination of personal traits or personal habits, right? Like, and patience is one of them. Mm-hmm. You have to be tremendously patient uh, to go from concept on paper to finished piece, uh, and you have to be thoughtful all the way along, you know? And that does, you have to force yourself to slow down yeah. and not rush through things uh, because you're excited.
0: Well, and I mean, patience when, and when you're at the lumber yard. Yes. Picking out boards. It's, and that's one place <clears throat> that to this day I feel rushed and I know I shouldn't. And, but I always feel like, you know, there's, there's, there's the guy on the forklift sitting there Looming over me. I'm That's, like, oh. That's tough. I mean that
1: that is tough. There are situations like that where you just can't give yourself the time to do what you want to do. Yeah. Try to find a different lumber yard. Yeah. Go up to Conway and Gaylordsville. It's just stacks of wood inside of an old supermarket. Yeah. And they leave you alone. Yeah. So mm-hmm. Yeah. Or the other guy, maybe, you know, wait for the one guy to go on break and then <laughs> get the other guy because he's much more patient. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah.
2: yeah does, but, I mean, th- there are other things like, uh, like dexterity. You have to have – you have to be dexterous to do good at woodworking. I think you do. You can't – you know, if you don't have good eye-hand coordination but, – But patience equals that out.
0: If you take your time – you could probably get some things done that you you know, that you wouldn't think so if you're not
2: dexterous. Um I hope none of the people that I've ever taught to, <laughs> to listen to this. I've seen some people they could have the patience of Job and it wouldn't matter because <laughs> they didn't have the dexterity. And
1: I've seen a variety of natural aptitudes. Yeah. But I don't think I've ever worked with anyone who wasn't able to maybe overcome an initial shortcoming by practice and thoughtfulness. Mm. But if you find someone who is unable to exercise that patience um, and you just see a lot of stress and frustration being built up, I think that's more of a hindrance than just, okay, took me a little while longer just to get comfortable cutting straight with my back. So
2: that's probably, I mean, that could, that's probably true that um, the people that I've, looked at it and go you know these they're really having trouble and it probably comes down to a lack of patience uh, with their lack of dexterity or lack of some other you know, yeah. skill or yeah. something yeah. that uh yeah cuz you can you know you can probably overcome it I think.
0: yeah but it, you know in a classroom environment you have a week to get a project done so yes. there you, you don't have all the time in the world to do it whereas maybe that person needs to spend a week practicing sawing straight before they make this cut. Yeah, it is an
1: artificial environment. And the bottom line is you're going to get it done when you get it done. And that's a different answer for every single woodworker. And it's tough if you're in a class of 10 or 15 people and you see three or four people moving way ahead and you start to feel behind. Um, I always try to stress that notion of it's, it's not a race and it's going to take you as long as it takes you. Yeah, but so.
0: when, when you're on your own, you're going to get it done when you get it done is, yeah. is a really great mindset that yeah. I'm
2: trying to yeah. adopt. So I'd say like on the skill side, sharpening is the foundation. You've answered,
0: you, have, you have like 17 answers right now.
2: But on the other side of it, it's patience. Those are the two, sharpening and patience, the most important things, I think.
0: Is that the name of your band? Sharpening Sharpening Patience. Patience?
2: It's my new hipster uh, kale uh, company. (laughs) Sharpening (laughs) Impatience. Organic kale. Grown one kale plant at a time. I don't even know. Right on. (laughs) (laughs) And Mike. Okay. Um, (laughs)
1: it's, It's really hard to sort of narrow this down. I would say one of the things is try not to create too many stumbling blocks ahead of you in um, pursuing this craft. It could be anything from maybe attempting too complex of a piece of furniture right off the bat. Mm -hmm. When you're introducing maybe too many skills and techniques and tools all at once, that can be a rough go. Um, A lot of times it's just, you know, if you listen to the podcast a lot, it may sound like we hate big, nice workbenches, but the thing is, because we always recommend against people building those, but I, I, I think the thing there is, is you shouldn't make a big, giant workbench your first project and have that get in the way of doing the, the things that you really want to be making.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and then the other thing is, is don't let the lack of a tool keep you from attempting something. Don't let the size of the shop or the lack of a shop keep you from giving it a try. I think there's a workaround for just about every situation in woodworking. Give it a go. You know, try your best and then give yourself a break and then move on from there. So um, <clears throat> I think that's a – is that one or three? I'm yeah, not it was, sure. I, I lost was count. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'll just – I mean the, there's so many things where um, it's a difficult task to kind of jump into. Start small. I guess. That's the other thing is, is – In terms of giving yourself a break, and we talked about it, a lot of people start by making boxes. And I'll talk to people, it's like, oh, what kind of stuff do you make? And it's always this sort of half-apologetic answer. Oh, you know, not too much, I just kind of make boxes because I don't really have the machines or shops set up. But boxes are really hard to get right. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're small, they don't take up a lot of space. But, I mean, look at, at Matt's boxes and the way he talked about grain. If you've got some scraps and you're trying to bang some boxes out, it's a real tough go. And also, boxes are so small that any gaps or defects are really big compared to the scale of the overall piece. <clears throat> um, so if you're making boxes and you're giving yourself a hard time because you can't even get a box right, no, you're just trying something really tough.
0: Get- boxes are way harder. Yeah, anything.
1: so you're probably getting along better than you think you are, so just you know, stay at it.
0: All right, so, so somebody comes up to to you guys and says, I... I would like to start woodworking and I don't know where to, I don't know what the first project should be. What what would be your first project for the, for your neighbor?
2: Um I would ask them is there something around your house that you need? Tell me what you need around your okay. house. And then after they said ridiculous things like a uh, credenza, a <laughs> <hey, laughs> hutch, <laughs> you know, sofa I would wait until they got to something like, you know, my me and my wife would really like something to put kindling in by the fireplace. Mm. You know, get to something that is as simple as possible. It's like, oh, that only has four sides and a bottom mm-hmm. or four sides and a back or whatever. I was like, all right, let's do that. And uh, then I would probably choose joinery that was as simple as possible. Because I would want, if I was helping someone on their first thing ever, I would want them to have success. And so I wouldn't yeah. say let's let's do hounds tooth dovetails or even let's do dovetails. I would say the you know the first thing I ever made it had they weren't even finger joints. It was like it was it was a twelve inch wide piece of pine. I cut a notch at the top on one piece, and then the mating piece had a notch in the bottom, and so it was just two overlapping fingers. And that's all it was. And it was like, that's all you have to do. Because right there, you've you've grasped a concept about somehow cutting in pieces of wood to fit them together and make that joint a little bit stronger. And But it doesn't have to be a really fancy joint. It's a really simple joint. So I would try to find something really simple for them to make uh, and then show them a simple way to do joinery. And then also try to help them understand wood movement. Hmm. What about you? I like that answer.
1: That's good. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I, I think it's the answer is becoming more and more broad. I mean, do you want to carve a spoon? Do you want to turn a bowl? Do you want to make a piece of furniture? Do you want to tack on some trim around a door in your living room? Or do you want to make some organizers for your closet? Um, you know, if it's a sheet goods, plywood thing, you know, that's a whole different skill set than a spoon carving thing yeah, um, or a furniture making thing. So, I think that uh, kind of to Matt's point where, like, what do you want to do? Like, when you say you want to make something, what does that mean to you? Does it mean I, I've seen these hand planes and I want to take shavings? Or does it mean I want to do something around my house which I can get some use out of? Sort of let that drive um, that direction and... There's tons of information on everything out there. I think that might have been a shortcoming before the internet. Now I think the shortcoming is there's probably too much information on everything. Mm-hmm. So do your research. Get enough to give yourself the confidence to get going. But stop researching after a certain point. Yeah, go out do <clears> it.
0: <throat> yeah. Right. All right. Well, um, I think we should move on to a great beginner project. <laughs> from, uh, James, we have a question. I started building Christian Bexford's letter tray from issue 264. Instead of doing it in pine, I made the box sides in walnut and the base and quarter sawn pine with a few coats of milk paint. When I painted the base, it warped quite a bit. Luckily I was able to force it into the grooves, but once I cut out the front opening, it pulled up the front corners so that they don't f- sit flat any longer. Well, painting the bottom of the panel reversed this. Unfortunately, it is now glued in place, so replacing the panel is out of the question.
2: So that's what I. Uh, my first thought was he only painted one side. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it absolutely milk paint, absolutely one hundred percent, positively will warp a little panel like that because what is milk paint mostly? Water. Mm-hmm. And you put a bunch of water on one side of a board. It's going to expand all of those fibers, right? But the other side is not expanding, so the panel as this expands and the other one doesn't, it's going to warp. That's just yeah. it's guaranteed. So if, even even quarter song? yeah, even quarter song. Mm-hmm. because Everything. it's yeah. a differential yeah. moisture on the right. faces. Yeah, yeah. So uh, can he go? Can he paint it again and have it like paint the bottom side of it and have it go back? Maybe uh, you got nothing to
0: lose at this point. Right? Yeah, you, you
2: got nothing to lose. Well, you could try first, just turn it over and just coat it in water. Just put a you know a boatload of water on it and let it dry and see what happens. <laughs> uh, and if that works, and then it goes back to warped, I don't know. I don't think that it would. But if it does, then paint it and uh, see what happens. Um,
0: now, I, I've i made a tabletop or I forget what it was. I think it was a top of a hutch or, or something. And I glued up the panel, then couldn't get back to it for a couple of weeks, came down to my really, really wet basement at the time, and boom, it was warped, you know, half an inch. And I was like, all right, so I go out and get more lumber, make the panel again, uh... And by the time I was done making the second panel, I look I look over and that <laughs> it flat. wasn't warped anymore. It yeah. was totally flat as could be. Because all you gotta do is turn it over. And it's, and it's gonna absorb differently. Yeah. It's gonna be, absorb on the other side yeah, and flatten out.
2: Because you had it, did you have it sitting flat on a bench top or something? I don't remember. Even yeah. if it was a little bit off the bench top on some little stickers, the exposed side is gonna take on, if it's in a basement, more moisture than the bottom side. But the the
0: thing that I'm getting at is do you think that if he waits long enough, like maybe two months later when no, we're actually no. answering his I'd question? Do to it.
1: Yeah. Okay. He needs to do something I to it. I think it's like Matt said, the the moisture in the paint caused everything to swell and then the paint when it dried sort of locked it in place. Okay. So I think all you can hope for is to hit the opposite side and have it swell to the same amount to where everything flattens out just a little bit. Right. So um Yeah, and then, you know, try it. And it's either going to work or it's not going to work. And if it doesn't, just put it aside and try it again. I know there's a lot of effort invested in this, and there's some dovetails and that kind of stuff. Next time around, your dovetails are going to be even tighter. So, you know, don't uh, – Also, there's a little scoop in the front, which really weakens that front edge. mm -hmm. I mean, it's down to the thickness of the bottom itself. Yeah, because it's it's supposed um, to be
0: flush, so you can grab that last piece of paper. Yeah,
1: I know, but – just put a lot of paper in there. Maybe only cut that scoop halfway down, and it's going to strengthen that that front um, side of the of the little box a little bit better. Mm-hmm. So it could be a design issue. Um, the other
2: thing you do is go out and get like a solid mercury or lead. Don't get mercury. Get lead. Don't get lead. <laughs> solid gold. Okay. Tray you- liner. Because it would weigh a lot Mm -hmm. and just put it in there and it'll flatten it out. Yeah.
1: Or that. (laughs) Um, Or, you know, if you're looking to get, okay, so we milk painted the bottom of this piece, but it's, it's for like paper and letters and stuff. So it's really a surface that you're not necessarily going to see. Yeah,
0: I'm I'm with you now.
1: Um, but another way to do it, what what Matt does, and uh, with fabric, what I do with just rice paper, is just maybe line that bottom with um, rice paper or fabric before you stick it on there. Instead and I don't of paint. think you, yeah, and I don't think you're going to have the same movement issues that way. But you still get to add a, a nice little extra element to this piece so we get to that last yeah. piece of paper there's the bottom
2: oh look at that i forgot that was there i wonder if i because I, you're describing this and i started to feel a little guilty because i wonder if he milk painted like the inside of that thing because i you know i do that a lot on boxes i wonder if you saw it on one of my boxes yeah no it in like, his
0: in his question i didn't want to inflate your ego at all he said <laughs> inspired by matt kenney so um so let's all right let's imagine that this is the greatest piece of walnut that he has ever seen in his entire life. His, his this this board was handed down for, from his for great g- generations. Yes. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, if it's could that he... old, it's going to burn. No. Wind, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm no, but, serious. <laughs> but
0: but but could he take a rabbit bit and rabbit that inside out?
2: Well, to release so, the panel and then put in a plywood panel or something. Oh, because the, the panel is like a it's like a frame and panel. Yeah, it's in a groove. <sighs> so, I mean, all right, we really want to get to taking this thing out and fixing it. You could cut it out. Uh, I would cut it out and then I would chisel the remaining bit flush to the side, mm-hmm. and then I would yes, you could then rabbet it, mm-hmm. square up the rabbets, make a bottom out of plywood. Mm-hmm. And see, so now we're really getting or into solid my territory gold. or solid gold. Yeah, We've covered with rice paper.
1: And you can just glue that into the rabbit. You can it's glue it into
2: the rabbit. And you can, you know, it can either be flush with <clears> the rabbit or if you want it to sit up a little bit, you know, milk paint the edges of the plywood before you glue it in. And, you know, put your piece of fabric or your rice paper or if you really want to get people, this is what I would do, glue it with a piece of uh Notebook paper or something, and then people will always be trying to get that piece of that paper out, and they won't be able to because it's glued
0: down at the hardware store. We used to we used to have in two different spots on the floor. We had a dime glued to the floor, and it was always funny when like some kid, some well no, some it, you felt kid. horrible when when the
2: little kid they, they go,
0: help. help. Done. and they try and pick it up. I was like, oh, "Hey, buddy, it's not." It's, you at a hardware store,
2: I think in like the nuts and bolt cases, I would epoxy like a nut and a bolt in there, and someone would try to grab it, and they, yeah, until that
0: bin is empty, and that's the last quarter twenty wing nut that that guy needs. Yes. But...
1: Yeah, I mean, at a certain point, you have to ask yourself: Do I want to spend my time in my shop fixing something, um, or do I want to spend that time making other stuff? Yeah, because. And sort of going back to the common mistake about woodworkers is one thing that's really, really hard when you invest a lot of time and effort into a piece. At a certain point, sometimes it just let it go. Yeah. yeah. Just let it go. Put it down. It's, <clears>
0: it's not going to be
2: perfect. I've never made anything <throat> close to perfect. Yeah. starting yeah. start on something else. Yeah. One of our uh, former co-workers at the magazine, Kelly Dutton, yeah. who – always every now and then just comes out with an absolute gem you're just like where did that come from and one of the things he said to me a long time ago is, sometimes the solution is worse than the problem (laughs) and i was like how did you just say that (laughs) (laughs) but it is completely true that sometimes you've got this problem and trying to fix it is just not worth it you know and that's a good one all right. So, uh
0: a while ago I sat down and did an interview with Brian Boggs. He's got an article coming up um on bending wood and there's going to be kind of a series followed up uh in the magazine. And I wanted to pick Brian Boggs, Brian's brain about a lot of things. So, we sat down and talked for uh, it's about half an hour, 45 minutes. And uh, I thought it would be cool to play a snippet of it here on the show and uh, if if what you hear is uh, of interest to you there head on over to fine and there will be the full interview up on the website so here's a snippet of my interview with Brian I have uh, taken like we had talked about I have taken a uh, box chair class and I I didn't know how many um, how many of the methods were your methods and how many were jeff Lefkowitz's or david deyards who were who were teaching the the class but we i was i was thrilled by the fact that we were measuring our the back slat tenons with a set of with a with a dial caliper to the thousandth and then trimming it with a solid knife are you tr- are you using Sloyd knives and, and, and knives like that in your work a lot still? Because you, you had just mentioned your your carving knives, so
4: yes. Uh for my ladder back chairs, uh all of my ladder back chairs, I always would carve the the width of the tenant yeah. with the knife. And um I've gotten to where you know the, the mortises are coming out within a thousandth or two anyway, so I can thickness sand the slats to within a few thousands of a fit. So more recently, it's just been a little bit of sanding that it takes to get them to fit just right. But even just last year, I was mostly uh, using a hand plane cross grain, just like Jeff does. Mm-hmm. He uses the same method that I taught him. So it's not a slow method. I mean, it would only take to scrape the surface of a slat to ready for a 320 grit. And have both tenons fitted to the tolerances you're talking about was generally about ten minutes. Mm-hmm. I would do a three-slat chair, slat, a three-slat chair, and and in, uh, in a half hour or so. So those tenons don't really machine to a fit. You you can't. The part itself is too irregular mm-hmm. to you know because it's steam bent. So you just get fast at that, and um, it's it's not. And I've taught enough of my employees how to do that to see that it's a regional human endeavor to hit that precision mm-hmm. with with a, a hand plane, and I think that the reason that it's fairly simple for my employees to do that is nobody told them it was hard.
2: Okay. You know,
4: I, I yeah. think that that when you're when you talk in thousands like that, it's it those are scary numbers mm-hmm. if you're not familiar with measuring them. But a caliper, on a, on a dial caliper, the, the thousandths increments are almost a sixteenth of an inch apart. So you can see a thousandth on a caliper as easy as you yeah. can see a sixteenth on a ruler. And once you start getting used to it, I mean, I've had employees that can set up a bandsaw fence by eye within five thousandths. That's not me. That's my employees. Yeah. So it's just a matter of calibrating your thinking. It's not an eye. It's it's not get, having a better eye than another person. It's calibrating. It's training your your thinking because your eyes are seeing the same thing. Mm-hmm. It's what your brain does with what is taken in and what you judge it with. Mm-hmm. What you judge it by. You just get used to it, and it's not that hard to see.
0: <laughs> well, all right. So, <laughs> but it's it's. It's absolutely true because I, rem- I, I remember when, when, we were, when I was building that chair and we broke out the dial calipers, I was like, oh, no, here we go. This is going to be horrible. This is, this is awful.
3: <laughs> and
0: it blew me away by, how, you know, how long it took with a hand plane or how not how long it took, that sounds like a negative, but how much sneaking up I could do with a hand plane to take three thousands off. I mean, mm-hmm. if, I, if, if I was careful and I concentrated, yeah, that was not an impossible task. It's just a matter of doing it once to learn, oh, every swipe with a hand plane is about 1,000 maybe, you know, and, and take it from there, you know. Um, but so let, let me ask you about teaching because you used to teach a lot of classes,
4: I did, and and I loved teaching, and still love teaching. I've taught at a bunch of different schools around the country: Mark Adams School, and uh, Peter Corn's place at the center for furniture craftsmanship in Maine, and mm-hmm. Gary Rogowski's place in uh, what is it, the Northwest uh, Woodworking Studio? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I got a lot of satisfaction from from teaching people. A different way of looking at woodworking and, and how to think about angles and, and organic forms less rigidly and to step out of their linear thinking about how parts relate to each other in a piece of furniture. And I, I still, you know, I, I remember fondly a lot of those experiences. But I don't want to do that exactly again. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think you know you've you've seen how well Jeff and uh, Jeff Lefkowitz and David Duart are doing with their classes, oh, yeah. and I, I'm mighty proud of them. I, I don't think I could teach that class uh, as well as they do because I don't work like that anymore.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: You know the the work that we're doing here and the work that I'm designed to do. People aren't going to do in their garage. And that was the primary student mm-hmm. that was coming up there. It wasn't the professional in development. It was the hobbyist you know, looking to do something fun. And what I love now in my teaching is that uh, I'm teaching employees who are going to spend their career doing this. And when they learn something, it's a it's an advancement in their career. In
3: mm-hmm.
4: a way, and that's very satisfying. And in providing the infrastructure that supports all of that, we get to see that develop over a long period of time. So, and the other thing that, that's different now is now, you know, we've got the Ask Brian Boggs show, which is uh, instructional mm-hmm. and, you know, the articles coming up on, you know, get your curve on with fine woodworking. It's a series of articles mm-hmm. that, that gives a, a lot broader group of people, a lot more people have access to that. That couldn't afford the classes. Yeah. And I think that most of the woodworkers who are going to become professionals are not able to take those classes because they're just too expensive. Yeah. yeah. So I, I like the way that my instruction is coming across now, and we'll be doing more and more of it. So, yeah, so tell, tell me about
0: what you're hoping to do with the Ask Brian Bach show uh, going forward.
4: Well that's where people are you know they're writing in or calling in with mm-hmm. questions and then we 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 try to answer all of them we don't get to answer all the questions I but can we, attest and, and, it's very
0: difficult to do to answer all of them
4: <laughs> it, it it is but there's also a lot of crossover and I can answer sometimes three questions in the response mm-hmm. to one um, you know something that interesting coming up uh, too is we have uh, chairmakers dot com as a website, and that's where we promote it and, and still sell our shaving horse plans. Mm-hmm. But uh, the ladderback chair, which is the one that you—I don't know which ladderback you took a class with—but the, the, the basic, the um, okay. Yeah. Um, but that basic chair is what I'm most known for, and we're going to be releasing that whole series of designs to the public. Oh, really. Yeah, I'm. I'm going to stop making those. I'm going to make a different chair that nobody else is going to want to make
0: anyway. You have so, thrown down the gauntlet for yourself. Okay.
4: Yeah. So um, it's time for uh, you know, <clears throat> it's kind of like having kids. You know, at some points it's time to kick them out of the house. Okay. <laughs> so um, this is the first time that we've announced this publicly and it's a it's a pretty new thing so what we'll be doing is we'll there'll be a form on chairmakers.com where people can fill that out and we'll let them know as soon as we have this ready but we're you know already uh, jeff and david are teaching the classes Mm -hmm. but now we're encouraging people to make these for sale we're it's just uh, a way of supporting the development of that in other people's shops, mm-hmm. and I'm letting go of it. Wow. So, okay. It, I think it's going to be a big a big deal because so many people wanted to make this chair. We're going to make it easier for them to do it.
0: That's that's fantastic. So and it's through
4: ChairMakers.com is is where they'll find information on that.
0: And there will be plans. Um,
4: there will be plans, books, videos. Um, I'm hoping to do uh, smaller tutorial uh, videos. We may even do webinars. We haven't got it all planned out yeah. yet, but it will be a, an ongoing support for anybody wanting to make the ladder back from the side chairs, the armchairs, the bar stools, the rocking chairs. You know the whole the whole kit. Okay, sign me up first. So. <laughs> okay. No, you've got to sign up. You go to tearmakers.com, fill out the form. <laughs> Absolutely. This is, And be the first to do so.
0: <laughs> yes, I am I'm, I'm right here. <laughs> uh, okay. That's that's awesome and it's it's very generous of you to to give back that way. Um I mean, I I know that, you know, you you learned from from John Alexander and and his book and you but you elevated it from there and who knows you know where some where someone else is 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 going to take it from from here, or actually, I, you're I'm excited to see what happens.
4: What <laughs> yeah. happens, you know, and I, with the encouragement to make these, no matter how you're doing it, whether you're doing it as a as an avocation or as a vocation, and selling these to to customers, you know, having that encouragement, kind of an endorsement from us. I'm hoping will jump start its evolution and mm-hmm. and certainly the the availability of that chair
0: mm-hmm. so well fantastic well Brian, thank you so so much for for coming and and jumping on skype and and hanging out with it with us for oh, it's been fun. for a little bit and uh, a lot of exciting stuff coming up and anybody who i mean I'm sure everybody has that's been listening has just signed up at chairmakers.com and uh, but I can attest follow Brian Box Chairmakers on Instagram uh, it's a fantastic follow is there, is there any other place that we need to keep an
4: eye out we have Facebook how active are we on Facebook now that's still going on isn't it Kevin yeah you can catch stuff on Facebook chairmakers Brian Box Chairmakers okay yeah they have Brian Box Chairmakers at Facebook Awesome. We'll, we'll
0: post links to, to all of that, uh, in the show notes below. But again, thank you, Brian. And, uh, we'll be seeing a lot more of you in the future.
4: All right, Ben. Good talking with you. You too.
0: Bye. All right. Bye. So let's, uh, let's hit another question. One last question for this episode. Uh, I have a question about keeping tabletops from moving. As I understand it, tabletops need to be secured with some sort of batten or other means across the grain to keep it flat over time. I've seen a number of examples where the leg is mortised directly into the tabletop, similar to what you'd find on a Windsor chair. Does this not ignore the rule? Shouldn't there be some sort of effort to keep the tabletop flat? Or is this only a concern with certain size pieces? This question's from Chris. So where's, where's the lines for you guys? where you need to have something.
2: Uh,
1: well, I think you, you know, the term keeping tabletops from moving, I think you you need to allow them to move side to side, but you tend to want to try to limit their movement up and down. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a traditional table design with four legs and four aprons, those aprons are doing that. Yeah. On trestle tables, um, the tops of the trestle ends tend to do that Um if that's not enough, you can add cleats or battens on the underside to help with that. Mm-hmm. A lot of people think breadboard ends tend to mitigate any cupping. I don't think so. I just don't think there's an, enough resistance from another board in the, that flat orientation to help. Too All the much. way on the ends <clears throat> too. Yeah. So um, the the old uh, hole in the board table. Um, rather than that, you could uh, sort of. Have a little sliding dovetail batten at the leg locations, and then you're you're drilling your legs into those battens. Um, and sometimes, uh, if it's I guess if it's a really thick board, who cares if it moves a little bit? Like, what's a big deal if it's if it's like a not really that thick flat? tabletop? Yeah, yeah,
2: um, yeah. I think. So I'll say the, the first commission I ever had was for a dining table and they wanted it was a slab top dining table with a undercarriage or, you know, a base that was not adequate for, but that's really, they brought this design. They like, really yeah. want this. And I was like, listen, that's, that tabletop is going to move. And especially if it's a slab mm-hmm. and they were like, insisted. And I you know, I was like, well, let me do this. Let me do that. No, nope, no. Nope. So like a year later. They email me and they're like, you know, can you come look at this? And I'm like, that's exactly what I told you would happen. Uh-huh. I'm like, you know, it it might flatten back out again with the changing of the seasons, but there's really not anything I can do. It's that's how giant slabs move. Um, so I, th- I think m- what Mike said is right. You don't, you can't stop a tabletop from moving. What you have to do is figure out how to allow it to move. The way it really needs to, but prevent it from moving the way it doesn't really need to, which so, is curling up. So you would, <clears throat>
0: you would never build. I mean, maybe a bench, like let's say a twelve-inch wide bench, with the legs just more directly into the top. would Would that be fine? I mean, you you, you wouldn't need anything to keep it. But there's from so,
2: bowling that way. There's more problems with that, what you just described, than simply the top moving. I mean, especially if it's a table or a bench. Um, it can, like, it certainly can be done, but there, you have to worry about racking, mm-hmm. and you have to worry about the legs splaying out in ways you don't want them to. So I don't think I would ever make a dining table that was solely legs straight into the tabletop. It would have to be a massively thick tabletop.
1: yeah. It's like an eight quarter top or something, I could see that
2: eight quarter. I yeah. would think I want to even go thicker mm. than that, like at least ten quarter, maybe twelve quarter. Mm.
1: That's a whole lot of whole lot of wood there. It is, yeah.
2: <laughs> but then, because but then, if you have that tenon going all the way through, you're starting to get some shoulder in, in some sense, like a shoulder. Yes, a little bit of resistance to racking. Yeah, but uh, I think what Mike said, if you want to do the leg into the tabletop. Uh, you should do a really the leg should go through a batten and then into the tabletop or just into the batten. And right. The batten, which is could be dovetailed shape, would slide into a, a you know a dovetailed way cut into the underside of the table. But but in
0: an ideal world, you would always have something keeping it flat. Or is it just worth experimenting? Because you might get lucky. Just don't move to a different part of the country, right?
2: Well, the thing is, if you really want that look, there are ways to get it that don't involve solid wood, that would be more stable. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you'd have to worry less about cupping of the tabletop or anything like that. So sometimes to get one thing, you got to give up something else. You know, So if I really needed to make a tabletop, make a table where the legs didn't have aprons, mm-hmm. for example – I would say, all right, we can do that. But, you know, the tabletop is going to be made from some type of torsion box, you know, maybe with honeycomb inside it. And then it's going to be veneered. And I can do shops on veneer or commercial veneer. And uh, that will be a nice stable top. And then we can figure out how to attach the legs to that, Mm -hmm. you know. So you might just have to rethink – uh, there's, it's a, woodworking is always a give and a take, you know,
1: you if, know, what I would do make your table, drill some holes, stick some legs in it and live with it. See if you like it. See what happens. Yeah. Go from there. Yeah. I mean, start there.
2: Just don't put all of your Thanksgiving dinner on it at once <laughs> <laughs> but, or your grandmother's China. <laughs> yeah. It'd probably be fine. I mean, the reality is people used to make stuff like that. And their unair-conditioned, you know, huts mm-hmm. that had winter winds blowing through it at thirty knots, and their furniture lasted was longer just than they did.
1: Remodeling our our living room, and I decided to install a dirt floor.
2: <laughs> nice, I like it.
0: Yeah, cat likes it. I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we've got two more quick, quick questions. Uh, one is from Josh. I recently picked up a sloyd knife and gouge, and I would like to turn some scraps into kitchen utensils. Should I have any concern with using spalted wood for this? I know I'm being paranoid, but I've grown fond of my family, and I don't want to kill them.
2: Is it still being paranoid if your worries are justified? Well, yeah, I mean, so spalting it- comes from fungus. Right. Well did Nixon say even paranoid men have enemies, Or was that someone else said that about Nixon? anyways? Sp- Cricket <laughs> <laughs> um, Spalted material. One, the initial problem I would say you have to contend with is whether or not the spalted material is punky mm-hmm. because if it's punky, it's, pro- it's not going to carve, you know, yeah. uh, and you wouldn't want to use it. I went I went
0: deep into this one because uh, Barn the Spoon in his book Spoon
1: his name is Barn the Spoon he,
2: Yeah yeah oh, that was, I mean he is I committed want that name. That's awesome <laughs> or his parents had great foresight Yeah or they doomed him they were like no, uh, he's going to be a spoon maker That's cool Yeah
0: um his his take on it is he he makes spalted spoons but he always does a very simple design uh, that will be structurally sound because you cannot rely on the spalted wood yeah. structure. Um, but then I dug in a little bit deeper. I was like, no, because I feel like there's there's concern here. So then in issue 199, by uh, an, we have an article by Sarah, by Sarah Robinson, and she tells you how to spalt your own wood. And in it, she says... Something to the effect of, or she says, exactly, Um, most fungal spores are about as harmful to a healthy adult as wood dust. So if you sand spalted wood, wear a mask. However, people with immune system disorders should not work with spalted wood. Hmm. And I was like, ooh. Okay, well then should people with immune system disorders not eat with a spalted wood spoon? Or any wood spoons. Yeah. So I dug in deeper and she has a blog and, and it's about you know spalted wood in food items. And she's talking about a a bowl, and it goes on to say that, you know, your your wood will be sealed by your finish. So I was like, okay, yeah, but I'm eating with a spoon. I'm gonna wear it through the finish. So I emailed her and then I found that she has this website that is like if you ever have if you ever want to go down a spalted wood rabbit hole and you have a lot of time on your hands head on over to northernspalting.com it's got I mean there's a documentary on spalted wood so it's it it goes deep but and she's she's a professor at Oregon State University um she's professor of wood anatomy and she emailed me back and she said that there's mold in everything that you touch. There's mold in all wood, whether you know it or not. And you, she would not be concerned about anybody eating with a spalted wood spoon. She had the same concern as you that it would be harder to carve than anything. But she would stay away from red spalting. Really? Yes. And I'll, I'll post her full response in the okay. show notes. Interesting. But red spalting does have a little bit of a uh, of a concern to it, and she actually said she would never carve anything with box elder because the redwood pigment and box elder um, they don't really know what's up with it. It hasn't been fully analyzed yet. So if you're carving a box elder spoon right now, stop, stop. <laughs> That's a, I, but I you know these are all decisions you have to make for yourself and do the research. But I'll I'll post links to it in the in the show notes. But um. It was really interesting, but you should check out northernspalting.com. Really Northern interesting website.
2: Northernspalting.com.
0: Yeah. All right. So we've got a couple of listener comments. Uh, first one from Mike Gitt. This one's uh, from yeah, can I read the other question?
2: We ran out of time. You said there were two questions. Okay, fine. You don't have to.
0: I'm making a, tra- <laughs> I'm making a toy train set for my young nephew. Kids tend to put things in their mouths. I was worried about not all it, that not all finishes would be safe. What are your go-to kid safe finishes? Shellac.
2: Shellac is kid safe. Milk paint is kid safe. See, to me, they make like
0: pills out of shellac. So yeah, but yeah, milk. I mean, and it's totally natural milk paint.
1: Anything that dries is sort of inert once it's fully cured. Fully cured. Yeah. One of them, one finish that takes forever to fully cure would be boiled linseed oil off the shelf in a hardware store, mm-hmm. and that typically has metallic dryers and stuff which are really nasty. Yeah. So I would definitely stay away from any product labeling itself boiled linseed oil unless it was from tried and true, which is a true, non toxic, food safe boiled linseed oil yeah. finish.
0: Um, or you can you can get flax oil. Flaxseed oil, which is linseed oil, from um, the health food store.
1: Um, I don't know yes, I understand. It's sort of non boiled, but also it's definitely I think it's non curing.
0: It'll cure with heat I put it on the wood stove and it'll cure eventually. <laughs>
1: Um, but the, there are certain oils, and like certain non-curing oils, they will go rancid, so you don't want to use them. I know a lot of people use walnut oil mm-hmm. uh, because that won't go rancid. So if you're looking for a food-safe oil from your uh, non-health food grocery store, yeah. you can use uh, walnut oil. <laughs> okay. Um,
2: but if you really want to be popular with your kids or your grandkids, chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> Melt chocolate <clears throat> pour chocolate over it. <laughs> All right.
0: So we have a uh, iTunes comment with a five-star rating from Mike Git. I love the show, but I have one complaint. And When you talk about your favorite tools, I often want to buy them, and sometimes I do. My wife is not happy with you guys. Join the club.
2: <laughs> yeah. Well... That's why she's not my wife. She's your (laughs) wife. That's your problem. (laughs) Uh,
0: And then uh, on the website, in reference to Shop Talk Live 159 from RW Young, I sharpened my half-inch 3TPI bimetal blades at least twice before they lose too much set uh we're talking about sharpening bandsaw yeah. blades in that episode it takes about 15 minutes for a 105 inch blade a dremel and a rotary diamond honed intended for chainsaws
1: yeah that's exactly why i'm not sharpening my bandsaw blades <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah
0: all right so that's all for this episode of shop talk live if you have questions you'd like us to answer on the show send them into to at taunton.com if you're watching on youtube please click that thumbs up button if you're one of the four people who click thumbs down the moment I hit upload, just keep being you. What you got, Matt? No. recommendations. Recommendations,
2: Ben. We're like <coughs> over
0: 10 <time. clears throat> I've got one recommendation. What's that? tauntonstorecom slash 50 dash 52 dash. That's the only recommendation that matters this week. 52 boxes.
1: Excuse pre-order me. Pre-order page. The theme of the recommendation <laughs> for the week was... Go out in your shop and
0: try something. Why don't you try buying this book?
2: Yeah, I have a <laughs> I have a tablet in my shop, and I'm gonna go out and buy a book. You can pre-order it <laughs> yeah. on Amazon and Taunton.
1: Right. <clears throat> oh, Tauntonstore.com. I'm protesting. I'm not giving a recommendation this <laughs> week.
2: Mike's recommendation is to buy 52 boxes in 52 weeks by Matt Kinney.
1: I would recommend that anyway. It's a fantastic <laughs> book.
0: <button. laughs> All right. Uh, was that your recommendation?
2: I mean, once I was like, how can I not promote my own book on the yeah. podcast this week? Because I just, the first copy. Just by not saying anything.
0: <laughs> my recommendation was to sharpen one thing every time you're in the shop, whether it needs it or not.
2: I was sharpening my design skills by reading 52 boxes <laughs> in 52 weeks. I was going
1: to say, right after your shop, just pencil a line. Um, along the edges of a board, quarter-inch in, and take out a block plane and plane until you hit your lines.
0: Just to... Yeah. Just
1: hit your lines. All right. Yep. Single right facet, line-to-line, mm-hmm. line, even, start-to-finish, side-to-side.
0: So, so plan a chamfer in.
1: Plan chamfer. Yeah. Big, okay. big old Got white you. chamfer.
0: All right. Finally, <laughs> you can keep up with Fine Woodworking on Instagram and on Facebook and look for all of us on Instagram as well. Thanks for listening, and I'm not allowed to say have fun in the shop so I'm going to say thanks for listening now go build something
2: why can't you say have fun in the shop because that's what Tom said Tom, Tom said, copyrighted Tom,
1: that
0: yeah
2: oh he did yeah
1: as a TM
2: <laughs> <laughs> Tom McKenna
1: trademark is yours actually available or <laughs> is still a pre-order
2: it's still a pre-order it actually <clears> goes <throat> on sale May 8th or at Final Work in Live 2018 I'll sell you this one <laughs> That one's already got pizza stains on it. That one's been flagged. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. It has
1: been Costanza.